This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm here today with Marcus Glover, who is the co-founder of South Fox Ventures at his offices in Koreatown. So thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure for you to be here. Well, look, Marcus, you really came onto our radar because we saw that you were starting to sort of actively be out in the entrepreneur community talking about investing in sort of more diverse talent. And that's really what we'd love to learn more about today and how you're doing it. So why don't you firstly share a little bit about what Southbox Ventures is all about? Yeah. Well, again, thanks for being here and thanks for your audience for tuning in. Southbox Ventures is a a year old early stage venture capital fund. So we primarily look at companies at the sort of at the seed stage, post angel, pretty much pre A. So looking at companies that are really looking at their ability to grow and accelerate. And we take a pretty hands on approach with entrepreneurs to help to create growth strategies. So I like to call it, we're venture capitalists, but we're actually venture builders. That's what wakes us up in the morning is being able to help the entrepreneur think about growth. So you've got a really interesting background, which we're not going to dive into, but like I know you've advised some of the world's most interesting figures and brands, and that's sort of from music and to entertainment broadly. And now you're investing in obviously a number of different ventures. What do you think is the most important thing in turning an idea into a successful venture? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what's important in terms of turning an idea into a venture is to really look at implementation and growth. Frequently, I'll meet an entrepreneur who has perhaps great IP. An entrepreneur can have great engineering but I frequently don't see as much thought in terms of how to implement or how to make sure that that venture is going to have resonance in the world. So I think that the implementation side, the growth side, has to be thought of right alongside the conceptualization of the idea. So ideas are cheap, execution is everything. Absolutely, absolutely. I I used to be in the advertising business. I don't have any tattoos, but I used to tell people if I did get a tattoo, the tattoo would be great ideas wins business, poor execution loses it. So it's in my mind, it's all about the implementation side. I could not agree more. So throughout your career, you've demonstrated a real commitment to social justice. Um, In what ways can social justice intersect with the work of venture capital? Well, I don't think that throughout my whole career, I have demonstrated a commitment to social justice. I think my most recent growth and evolution as a person has been to take on some of the larger concerns in the world, particularly around social justice. I wake up every morning and at the start of every week, I really think about what are the ways that I'm going to help women and people of color. And so I I carry that as a primary motivation in my life at this point, because I think that history has shown, and even our recent history has shown that 
there is areas of inequity in our culture and in our world. And unless we take a more activist point of view, and once again, implementation, systems of unfairness will continue. So to answer your question directly, I think that venture capital is a very important platform for creating more equity in the world, creating more systems of fairness. When you look at it, venture capital in the last 40 years or 50 years has largely been the primary catalyst for the world's innovations. The world in which we know today, largely connected through social media and through computing, is the byproduct of venture capital. And so it shows that venture capital has this hand in producing the next iteration of the world we live in. So I start to think, why can't venture capital then have a more practical view in terms of addressing areas of unfairness, whether it's helping to create more opportunities for women, whether it's helping women founders to get funding for seed ventures, making sure that women are limited partners who are on the investing side, making sure that women receive later rounds of funding at the B, C, and D level. These are the more critical things that I think that the world of venture can help to do. Part of my job is to just help to rally awareness, to socialize that there are different points of view and different ways of achieving our goals of creating fairness in the world. Fantastic. So let's talk about mentorship now. What role has it played in your life, either as a mentor and or mentee? Yeah, so I'm actually embarrassed to say that I think I did a really poor job in, in my career journey seeking out mentors. I often felt feelings of inadequacy that I wasn't good enough. I felt a sense of shame about feeling that I was doing my career wrong. And so almost like a little child who wants to hide from his parents, I thought that I would be shamed through mentors instead of helped. And so I did not do a good job in my career of seeking out mentors. Because of that, I have probably become a mentor on steroids now in making sure I make myself available to women, people of color, who often have great ideas, but are in need of areas of expertise that they may not have in their traditional career path. So I really believe in the power of mentorship. It's not only in providing expertise, but just in providing resources and introductions and all types of opportunities that can help growth. It's funny, I'm at this place now, I'm almost 50 years old. I started out my career 25 years ago, and now I look at myself, I'm that guy, right? I'm looking back on the, the millennials, the 20-somethings, and I'm seen a bit as the sort of the veteran in the game. And I have to respect this place that I'm at and be able to offer some leadership and mentorship to people that are coming through the ranks. That's fantastic. So tell me, what, what didn't you know when you started out? I mean, you've shared that you almost had like this imposter syndrome by the sounds of it. But what do you wish you had have known that you didn't know that maybe you could share now? 
Oh, that's a great question. I don't think what I knew when I started out was, it's less about what I knew. I think it's what I didn't fully embrace. And what I didn't fully embrace was that there's a process. There's a process to creating your own achievements and milestones. And often we hear the saying that there are no corners to be cut. I really, I really believe that's true. I think that for millennials in particular, there's a challenge because so much of the popular examples are the Mark Zuckerbergs or the Evan Spiegels. And it just feels like the, you know, rags to riches type story and against all odds, winning it big, where entrepreneurship has been a, it's almost been like a cage fight for me. I've had to learn by almost like being knocked out in a, in a boxing <laughs> match. That's the way that I have learned the more critical aspects of entrepreneurship. And I just want people to realize that there are no corners to be cut. I think that is the one thing that I've learned that I didn't know when I started out. And entrepreneurship is like cage fighting. It absolutely is like cage fighting. I love it. <laughs> it is definitely a cage fight. And I feel you. Yes, you know. <laughs> Tell me about the type of companies you've invested in. Maybe you could share one or two that you're sort of really excited about and what they're doing. Uh, sure. Well, I think this one company speaks to the whole ecosystem and value of aligning capital with purpose and in particular social justice. The one company is a company called the People's Dispensary. It's my first investment in cannabis actually. Wow. And I have not been a party boy since my college days. I've kind of left those days behind me. But when I looked at it, obviously there are a lot of people that are seeing the enormous returns that are being delivered in cannabis. But what I began to reflect on was the war on drugs and the ways in which the war on drugs criminalized people of color. In fact, to this very day, more than 50% of people that are locked away behind bars in America are low-level drug crimes. So for the last 40 years, communities of black and brown people have been criminalized by cannabis. And now there is this great moment of pivot in the world where, you know, privileged white men once again are creating all of these enormous returns through cannabis while people of color are still locked behind bars for the very same thing. So the People's Dispensary is an amazing model which creates social impact funds in communities of color while they operate a dispensary model so that profits from the dispensary go to the social impact fund to create businesses for people of color in the community. So it's a model of restorative justice that I think is, again, impacting the double bottom line, people and profit. So I'm really excited about this company. Well, we'll be following it closely. Cool. It sounds like a really strong initiative. The founder is a woman named Christine De La Rosa. She should be a guest on your show. I think I'm sure that our manager I'm working with is picking up the phone to her now. Awesome. <laughs> 
Marcus, can you give me some examples of social justice and venture capital working well together? Yeah, sure. So another initiative that I'm really excited to be involved with is I serve as the board chair here in New York City of an organization called Defy Ventures. And Defy Ventures is essentially a, a VC model for formerly incarcerated men and women, where we teach essentially an, a 10-month MBA quality level of business education to people behind bars, men and women. We currently have two cohorts going on in, in jails uh, in New York State. One is in a women's prison where we have 70 what we call EITs, entrepreneurs in training. Another is a cohort for a male prison where we have 50 EITs. And essentially, at the end of their 10 months of education, they write a business plan and we invest in that business plan. We'll invest seed capital and put mentors around these entrepreneurs. We really believe that here is another example of systems of bias, bias against formerly incarcerated people, where America has a really nasty stigma and bias against people who were formerly incarcerated, where frequently they can't get jobs or they can't get vote. They spend inordinate amounts of time on parole. And so the model of rehabilitation that the systems of corrections is supposed to provide is actually just a system of punishment. And so this is an example of how private capital and the model of venture capital can help fellow human beings, quite frankly, to create a path of sustainability in their life. And this is really an example of where venture capital can play a meaningful role in social justice. What businesses are these entrepreneurs actually building? That is probably one of the most exciting things. I could give you so many examples of, uh, for example, two weeks ago, I was with an entrepreneur who is just one of the most incredible people I've ever met. While he was serving more than a decade of jail time, he read an article on aquaponic farming. So farming using water, essentially, instead of soil. And he taught himself aquaponic farming behind bars. And two weeks ago, he bought 42 acres of land upstate in order to begin to launch his aquaponic farming enterprise so that he can provide produce to local restaurants and communities. He also owns a dry cleaning business. And this is a, a man who spent 15 years behind bars. There's another example of an entrepreneur named Cas Marte, who started an enterprise called Con Body. So it is a prison style workout where you don't have any weights. You just use your own body weight. And his gyms and his classes are always filled with people. In fact, he has a studio at Bloomingdale's here in New York City where you can go and take a class of his. And in fact, his studio was just featured on an episode of uh, one of the reality shows. I can't remember, but it just goes to show that people deserve a second chance, number one. And there is incredible innovation and innovators even behind bars. 
Well, I actually have my gym kit with me, so I might be able to pop in and do a session. I, I will. I will connect you with Kass, and uh, and I promise you, you will. You'll be almost dead after his class. <laughs> Speaking of picking up the phone too, who do you pick up the phone to when things get tough? So over the past, I would say five to seven years, I've built up a pretty regular yoga and meditation practice. I think if anything that has reopened my mind to a lot of what we're talking about in this conversation, areas of social justice and mindfulness in business, it's been my everyday yoga and meditation practice. And so from that standpoint, I don't necessarily think that people or getting anyone on the phone is necessarily a quick fix, but I'm quicker to go inside and take a moment in meditation or a moment to be on the mat in yoga to maybe discover what the answers are that lie within me. And so much of what might be troubling me in the moment, it just takes a moment to find some inner resolve that I can then, you know, step back out into the world with some clarity. So I, I usually take my time to process things on my own. It wouldn't be unfamiliar for you to look at me and I'm sitting in the corner quiet with my eyes closed, meditating. I think that sounds like a really great approach to life. And I'm glad you're staying awake for this session. I am. And maybe we can do some meditation afterwards. I would love to learn. I would love to learn. <laughs> what is your superpower? I think my superpower is storytelling. I think as human beings, we're all storytellers. We're all telling a story in the world, sometimes unconsciously, sometimes unintentionally, but we're all being guided by story. I think if there is a central core to entrepreneurship and successful entrepreneurship is to harness the power of story. And so I frequently am always trying to uncover the story that people are trying to tell either individually or through their venture or whatever uh, initiatives they're taking in the world. I think this show in particular is an aspect of storytelling, to be able to provide the diverse points of view that aren't just the standard privileged white male in private capital, private equity type stories. And so I think I always recognize story and I try to help people to better embrace the story that they're telling. What does the future hold for Southbox? I think the future is very bright for Southbox. I think we are a, a group of pretty disruptive thinkers. We, we think that growth can come from anywhere. And so we're looking at AI right next to cannabis, right next to blockchain, um, you know, in interesting and fun conversations with NASA. One thing seems to have not anything to do with the next, but it all stems from a core thesis of seeking opportunities for growth. And so I think with that narrative in mind, we're always going to be aggressive to find what is beyond the bend in the road? What is uh, the next iteration of culture and how can we help to harness that through the power of VC? And lastly, what advice would you give young or new entrepreneurs starting out thinking about raising money? 
I would like to start by saying what I love about millennials is while we as older generations, I, I now have to put myself in that category, <laughs> we oftentimes are quicker to fix existing institutions. While I think the power of millennials is to just take a fresh look at things that don't work and they just abandon existing institutions and create new ones. So it's the power of the youth to really just wholesale say these things don't work, we need to create new ones. And now they have access to tools and technology in order to do that. I think that millennials in particular should harness that strength, that recklessness, to be frank, that is their superpower and to use that to create and continue to create innovation and disruption. I think what millennials and young people should also really do is continue to think big. Oftentimes in venture capital, the, the rule of measure is to look for a company that has the potential of being a half billion dollar company and then to, to figure out is that entrepreneur the person that can build the value to a half billion dollar company. In order to become a half billion dollar company, you have to have a bold vision. It cannot be a marginal vision. And so in that sense, I just encourage young people to always think beyond big and then to really harness the skill set that will capitalize on that vision. Well, Marcus, it has been an absolute pleasure meeting you. I've certainly got that image of cage fighting strongly in my head as an entrepreneur as well. I love the strong tips around meditation and yoga. And we're really excited to see where else you invest and, and how the people's dispensary actually uh, plays out as well. It's pretty interesting. We've covered cannabis, cage fighting and meditation all in the same talk. <laughs> and that is how we roll at Work It. So thank you, Marcus. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Cheers. You've been listening to the Work and With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes. Thank you.